Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Power Rankers. Austin Gale here with Jason Goff following the holiday. A really fun weekend of football here. I have an intro that I think you're going to love. I call it the old yeller intro where I highlight things that we just need to put out the pasture. We got we got to let them go. You know, you got to let them go at the end of this movie. Three of those things. Nathaniel Hackett finally relieved of his services after what was an absolutely embarrassing loss to Baker Mayfield's Rams. One of the worst teams in football this year. No Cooper Cup, no Matthew Stafford, no Aaron Donald, no Allen Robinson. It is one of the most banged up losing football teams in the NFL and they get absolutely blown out, run off the field. That was insane. Old Yeller, in addition to that, is Nick Foles. I cannot believe that Jeff Saturday is putting Nick Foles through this. That looks like one of the most difficult tasks a player has been asked to do in a long time. The Indianapolis Colts losing, I think it was ultimately 20-3 to to Los Angeles Chargers on Monday Night Football. Jeff Saturday, the coach, the interim head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, we'll talk about him a little bit later, already said he's going to start Nick Foles again. Why? Don't do that to him. Don't let him go out there like that. Guy can't move. Guy can't throw. Getting hit every single play. I can't believe it. And then the last old yeller, Zach Wilson. Put it away, dude. Just just let him go. When you get benched for Winnipeg Blue Bomber legend, Chris Stebler, who in his best season, I think threw 14 touchdowns and like 13 picks in the CFL. When you get benched for tattooed Taysom Hill, you need to let go. It's time. It's time to let it go. I know Robert Sala, the head coach of the New York Jets, wants to say his future is not over, blah, 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 to keep the trade value up. His era or error, if you will, in New York, is over. No more time for that. So Hackett, Foles, Wilson, I'm putting them out the pasture. It's the old yellow intro. You know, the the Denver Broncos thing is is so intriguing because obviously Sean Payton's going to be able to name any number that he wants when he comes back to coaching maybe next year or the year after that. But if you're looking at something – 
Think about the most disappointing franchise, not just in football, but like in team sports in the last calendar year in terms of what you expected and what actually became of it. There was a lot of, you know, oh, the Broncos got a wide receiver core. They've got a couple of running backs. They've got a young, decent offensive line. They've got a, they got a defense before they traded Chubb to Miami. Like all those things were set in gear and set in motion. And you think it is something they just need a quarterback. And who knew Russell Wilson would have fallen off this much? And if Nathaniel Hackett, I, I got to say this too. I'm done believing anybody's an offensive genius or an offensive guru just because they're around great quarterbacks or a former offensive guru who is just disseminating talent across the league. Like Sean McVay, you know, it, it, there was a while there was a run there. If you had lunch with Sean McVay, you were going to get a job. Same thing with Andy Reid. Now we're looking at, okay, how close are you to greatness when it comes to a quarterback and how much should we believe? Like Luke Getze, who was Aaron Rodgers' quarterback coach, who was the offensive coordinator now in Chicago. There's question marks. There's a lot of question marks when it comes to his play calling. Nathaniel Hackett, when he goes to Denver, you're like, all right, you got Russell Wilson, got a receiving core. Let's, let's see you cook. And they never quite get it going. This is the worst scoring offense in Denver Broncos uh, organizational history since 1971, dog. Like, they're scoring two touchdowns a game in the league that is begging you to score points. And as far as the, the, the Mike White, Zach Wilson, New York Jets thing goes, I mean, they're a year ahead of schedule, right? But having this big a, uh, a blunder at the talent evaluation part, uh, on, uh, on the talent evaluation part of this when it comes to a quarterback position. That could set you back years. So what do they do? Do they cut bait and go back into the lab or do they keep trying to run this thing back like, you know, the remix of a, a song that you never liked in the first place? You feel me? Like this is this is, um, this is is interesting times. Of course, we got J.J. Watt retiring, all the things that we mentioned. And, you know, the, the Indianapolis Colts, why aren't you starting your young dude? I mean, get get a couple looks. I, Sam, hey, Sam Ellinger ain't going to be anybody's answer, but at the same time, putting Nick Foles out there to, uh, I don't say ruin his legacy, but to to not play offensive football. Like, uh, what's my man's name? The, the interim offensive coordinator for the, the Colts right now? Parks, Parks Frazier. Parks, Parks Frazier. Frazier. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the creative player OC in Madden is out here calling plays against the Chargers. Brandon Staley and the boys did not have an easier go of it. And, of course, I love Monday Night Football now because Troy Aikman, all he does is shit on how average the league is, and I can't agree with him more. Straight up and down. Troy Aikman does not pull any punches. There's so many times where Joe Buck's like, oh, tell me how you really feel like then You really do hate this. Um, going back to the Nathaniel Hackett firing, obviously, I think Field Gates from ESPN tweeted this out first first-year head coach ever fired before the season ends. Fired after wow. week 16. There's two weeks left, and you know Benjamin Solak had said this on Extra Point Taken on the episode before on this uh, podcast feed, that the NFL no longer is letting teams interview assistant coaches that are currently coaching for other teams after week 16. They tried that for a little bit. They're not doing that anymore. This was not to get an advantage or a start on the new hiring process. This was, and uh, Greg Penner, the owner of the Denver Broncos, said this, we weren't going to fire him after this week until we got blown out by Baker Mayfield and the Rams, and you have Randy Gregory and fighting, you know, fighting after the game. You have Dalton Reisner pushing Brett Rippon. It, it was a shit show, as it has been all season long. You have the corniest quarterback in the NFL who's hiding what he's saying with the football while he's down like 40 points. It is not a good look from start to finish. I think it was right to let Nathaniel Hackett go after all of this. And where my mind goes, and Greg Petter said, the new head coach is going to report to me, not going to report to the general manager, uh, George Patton, which that is the right decision. George Patton was the one who went and traded for Russell Wilson. George Patton is the one who signed him to this monster contract extension before he played a snap in Denver. He is 
in a lot of ways, more at fault than what has happened in Denver than Nathaniel Hackett was. Russell Wilson, I think, is probably the biggest fault for how much he's regressed and his consistent, you know, consistent interest in playing in an offense that he's struggling with as he gets older. I don't know. Where I want to go with this is the number one thing you can find in a head coach. And I don't know. I, I have never been in a part of hiring a new head coach, but my opinion is the skill set you look for when you go and get a head coach. Number one is can you do a semblance of what Kyle Shanahan does in propping up bad quarterbacks? Like, can you create an offense? Are you this quote-unquote offensive genius, offensive play caller that could take a bad quarterback or a flawed quarterback or a limited quarterback and put together a capable, productive offense? Kyle Shanahan is the best in the league at it. Mike McDaniel is up there. You have Andy Reid, who's been there at times. That's the number one thing I look for. This guy did not call offensive plays in Green Bay. Like, you weren't getting that, period. He did not call offensive plays in Green Bay. The number two skill set you look for, in my opinion, is can you be this quote-unquote leader of men? Do you have proven leadership qualities where people want to coach for you? People want to play for you? He had no record of that in what he was doing with Green Bay. He brought over coaches that had never called plays before, that were looking for their first opportunity. I don't understand how Nathaniel Hackett got this gig in the first place. I think there's significant, significant flaws with how teams currently look for head coaches. Hello, Jeff Saturday. Like, you hire your friends that look like you. That's all it's ever been. And I think yeah. that's the core problem here. Like, it, with the Nathaniel Hackett hiring, with the Jeff Saturday interim head coach, now you have Jerry Roseburg, who was retired for three years, came back because Hackett couldn't call a game at the end of the game, and now he's the interim head coach. The NFL has a bad process for hiring head coaches. They hire people that are friends. They hire friends that look like them. And they do not, in my opinion prioritize qualities correctly, and for whatever reason, that's why the Denver Broncos are in this situation. I, I think that this Ned, next head coach, and Penner has said this already, it's not about fixing Russell Wilson as much as you want it to be. That's a short-term outlook of this team. It is not about fixing Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is not, yes, he's, you know, you're going to have to you know, have him on this team next year do the dead money, maybe even the year following, but you mm -hmm. need someone to come in there and completely change the culture, completely change the long-term trajectory of this team because they are in a dark, dark place, man. It is uh, sad to see how, how the mighty have fallen uh, for the Denver Broncos. You know, changing culture, like, it's not just a, a, a buzz phrase or a couple of keywords that everybody throws out there because in the end, like, what is culture? But to me, you haven't won shit if you're the Denver Broncos. This is not a team who has risen to some level of prominence and all of a sudden they were a quarterback away and they just missed their winning ticket of the lotto. No, this team hasn't gone to the playoffs in six or seven years, right? So anybody that's running around an NFL football locker room, an NFL team locker room like the Denver Broncos, you know, getting mad at each other and, and, and screaming and talking about, you know, culture, guess what? You have no culture. So in the end, just bring in, bring in someone. This is the thing too, because you mentioned the first skill set or the the most um attractive skill set to you in and hiring coaches these days is being that quarterback whisperer to me is being a talent evaluator of the rest of the staff that you're going to put together as well because if you're a defensive Fair. head coach you don't say D'Amico Ryan's my man from uh Denver gets a head coaching job right Look your quarterback in the eyes and go, okay, I know this person's weaknesses and I know this person's strengths. This is the quarterback coach that I'm bringing with me. This is the offensive play caller that I'm being, bringing with me. Uh, far too often, we look at these coaching staffs and you see God, the running backs coach gets moved out or the tight ends coach becomes the offensive line coach. No, designating who the young, hot coaches are. Why, if you are a young, hot coach, you should be swimming in those waters, right? You should know who those people are. You should be able to scout on your own team. All right, this is the guy that I'm taking with me. I know he's coaching tight ends now. 
now, but I think this guy's going to be a terrific play caller one day. So I don't think we give enough credit to coaches who actually put staffs together to kind of mask some of those weaknesses. If I'm a defensive head coach, are you damn right I'm going out and trying to get the, the person that I've seen take an average quarterback to a, a above average or good quarterback, right? So I, I, I think I think we're going to see that in this coaching cycle too. I think we're going to see a couple of defensive guys get hired and and, and try to figure out the, the Belichickian way to go about offense, which is, okay, give it to one person and say, hey, do you have a great quarterback? If you have a great quarterback, then you don't have to totally put it on one play caller. But if you don't have a great quarterback, how can you make this offense pop? And like you said, Kyle Shanahan's of the world out there. There's somebody else out there that is Kyle Shanahan who is some quality control guy right now or some quarterback's coach right now. So you have to find that person. It's not. It, it just doesn't yep. stop at the hiring. It, st- it starts to me at your head coach being able to evaluate talent and also have the proper relationships to put people in place to make average players above average players, and that's how you raise your floor. And, and I bring up that quarterback whisperer quality as number one because quarterback is the most important position in in the sport and and like and like and and it's not a buzzword right there's no buzzword that's going to get you there can you win with any quarterback can you put together a productive offense with any quarterback that is on the football field we've seen it with san francisco 49ers who are my next team they are my team of the week this week we'll get to them soon one more point on the nathaniel hackett firing and just like my perception of how the league is hiring coaches that number two thing is a fucking buzzword. Culture, buy-in, blah, blah, blah. Everyone says it. Leadership of men. I hate it. Here are specific ways you impact that. Because I think culture exists far outside the NFL. It exists here at The Ringer. It exists at every company. It exists in families. All that stuff. It is authenticity. Authenticity is where you start. Authentic passion. Genuine, genuine interest in leading men and creating this buy-in. You know what they don't have in Russell Wilson? And what everyone has talked about is any semblance of authenticity. Number two is legitimate, like, likability. Like, likability within the organization, likability from the players, likability from the other coaching staff. And three, I, I honestly think that it is legitimate experience leading men, experience leading, um, you know, players and coaches. And I think Nathaniel Hackett had that, and he got cast right. in a situation with a, one of the most inauthentic quarterbacks in the NFL, inauthentic leaders in the NFL. And with no experience calling plays, no experience hiring other coaches, hired a bunch of other coaches who have never called plays and just got, you know, just legitimately too much dip on his chip. He was over his skis. Any metaphor you want to use, he was just way past what he was capable of. He got handed the keys to the, not the keys to the Titanic, but he got handed a heavyweight belt that he had to defend right out of the gate. And I don't think it was that easy for him. He was cast in an unwinnable situation with the skills and the experience that he just did not have to rally this team out of it. Going back to Kyle Shanahan and my team of the week. It's the San Francisco 49ers. In my power rankings, they didn't move up significantly. They're still the fifth-ranked team behind the Philadelphia Eagles, Buffalo Bills, Kansas City Chiefs, and Cincinnati Bengals. But it's just, it's insane how much, and it goes back to what I'm saying about Kyle Shanahan and this quarterback whispering stuff. It's insane how much we just take for granted the Niners are still good. That they've taken literally the last drafted player, the last drafted player in the 2022 NFL draft He's taken over the offense. He's the quarterback of the offense, and they haven't, like, skipped a beat, dude. Like, they are still just as good as they were with Jimmy Garoppolo, if not in some ways better with the mobility and the aggressiveness from Brock Purdy. This is if, – if this happens to any other team in the NFL, in my opinion, I think they go kaput. I don't even think Andy Reach Chiefs handle this. Mm-hmm. I don't think Miami Dolphins handle this. I don't think Cincinnati Bengals handle this. Brock Purdy, mystery relevant, going – being inserted into the offense and now being tasked with leading this team into the postseason and the 49ers haven't skipped a beat, that, in my opinion, is insane. And it, again, goes back to this idea 
that Kyle Shanahan, what he's able to do to puppet master the offense, whether it's Jimmy G, Trey Lance, Nick Mullins, CJ Bethard, any of these guys. Yes, his win-loss record without Jimmy G is different, but like what he's been able to do to keep one of the most unhealthy teams in football afloat, not just afloat, but leading the charge in the NFC. I think they're as good as the Eagles. They're as good as the Dallas Cowboys. I think legitimately will be competing for the NFC crown. I am really impressed with San Francisco 49ers, and we cannot take for granted how easy it is, how easy it looks for Kyle Shanahan to operate this offense at a high level with anyone, like legitimately anyone. Yeah, hey, I'm with you, man. I, I, it's the last three weeks or so, uh, and this week especially, locked up three things, right? For me, it locked up the fact that I think the San Francisco 49ers, in this week that we're talking, right? Maybe next week might be different. The week after that might be different. But for this week, I think they're the number one football team in the NFL. Um, and, and a lot of that has to do, and you know, I know we're not in too high, too low yet, but a lot of that has to do obviously with some of the injuries that we'll get to with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, not just with Jalen Hurts, but their offensive line as well with Lane Johnson, but Brock Purdy is just doing what he's asked to do. And when you have a player who might be lacking in certain tangible aspects of the game, and he just does what you asked him to do and you, you win because of it, that, that speaks to coaching, right? I, I think Kyle Shanahan, He's getting ready to lock up the coach of the year. I think what we saw from Nick Bosa get wrecking the game the way he did, I think he's getting ready to lock up defensive player of the year. You know, all, all we talked about this year coming into it was Aaron Donald, of course, because Aaron Donald's the man. And then we saw what the Rams were and Michael Parsons. But Nick Bosa is running around here with 17 and a half sacks, wrecking the game, a, a way better run defender than people give him credit for. And he's just, he's one of the guys on that defense, right? Like you see in Fred Warner, uh, I heard my man Dominique Foxworth talk about it the other day. You see in Fred Warner motion out and, and to designate, obviously, the offense pre-snap, trying to figure out if you're in man or in zone. He's motioning out with a tight end, motioning out with a running back to the to the you know the one the one receiver slot. And all of a sudden he's dropping back into cover two. Like they're doing stuff on the defensive side of the football that is not only complimentary, but it's impactful and attacking. Like Kyle Shannon, they were talking once again talent evaluation of your coaching staff. Kyle Shanahan this year has put on a clinic of going through adversity, not wavering, and just having a certain standard of the way that you're going to play. Like, we, a lot of people talk that shit about the process and the standard is the standard and all that. Nah, fuck that. Look at this season for the 49ers. You go through Trey Lance in the beginning of the season with all the hope and promise that his skills bring. A guy gets hurt in the first game of the season. Then you have to throw in a guy that you thought you were, you know, were going to banish and, and didn't eventually do so in Jimmy Garoppolo. That guy then gets hurt after playing decent enough. Like Nobody's played head and shoulders over what you expected them to, and the San Francisco 49ers are still here in the end. Now, I think it speaks because some Lions fans or people who don't like the Lions actually got after me about last week's pod because I was like, hey, the Lions should be higher. And it was me speaking to what the NFL isn't this year. And in a league that isn't, top heavy and it isn't I'm, I'm sorry it's top heavy like there's one or two teams but it, it, it isn't as dominant as you expect the top of the league to be what better year than to have the best coaches in the game shine than this year you're looking at Nick Sirianni right you're looking at, at, at Kyle Shanahan right you're looking at a, a, a bunch of teams now who are like okay everybody's banged up at this point in the season who's your quarterback okay you don't have a franchise quarterback and you're still doing like they don't have a franchise quarterback right now and they're still running roughshod over the league so shout out to the 49ers I, I think that right now may change like I said next week the week after that but right now for this week they, they might be the best team in the NFL. And overall, overall, like Josh Allen, 
Patrick Mahomes, stellar talents, obviously, like two, the two best quarterbacks in the league. But when it comes down to it, you still got to do other things on the field. Special teams, they're solid. Defensively, they're impactful. And offensively, I mean, if you're getting the ball to George Kittle and some of these dudes who are running after the catch guys, the way this offense was designed to, they're hitting shot plays. Their run game is still as exotic as anybody else's, although they, you know, they, they obviously, you got Christian McCaffrey back there. I'm, uh, I'm all over this 49ers thing now. It may crash and burn. They might get beat in the first round of the play- second round of the playoffs, whatever. But for right now, this might be the best team in the NFL just because of the word team, like all around coaching staff, organizationally, they're doing, they're doing an exemplary job at, at, at going through adversity and winning. A lot of teams that are still talking this shit about injuries and excuse making, look at the 49ers. And, and that's all you got to say is they ain't making no excuses and they got the same amount of time and the same injuries that you have. There is 100% an argument to right now the San Francisco 49ers being the best team in the NFL. There's an argument to them being the best team in the NFC, especially with Jalen Hurts' injury still lingering, Dallas Cowboys up and down. I like the San Francisco 49ers a lot. They're the third-ranked scoring offense over the last four weeks with Brock Purdy, with Brock Purdy against good football teams. Right. They, they, Miami, Tampa Bay, Seattle, Washington, all four of those teams comp- competing for the playoffs, and they have the third-ranked scoring offense with Brock Purdy at quarterback. They've won eight straight this and I'm glad you brought up the awards. Nick Bosa is a runaway favorite for Defensive uh, Player of the Year. It's minus 1,000 on FanDuel. I look at Coach of the Year, Kyle Shanahan at plus 300. If the Eagles slip up a bit more without Gardner Minshew, maybe Nick Sirianni doesn't win it this year and Kyle Shanahan takes that. Then I look at Offensive Rookie of the Year. You're telling me you're going to give it to Garrett Wilson or Kenneth Walker over Brock Purdy, who's coming off the pine and is leading you. one of the best teams in the NFL? I don't know. I don't know. Just let San Francisco clean house. Let San Francisco <laughs> clean house. I'm just, uh, I'm just so impressed with what they're doing. I think that what Purdy has come in to do isn't overwhelmingly impressive, right? Like Kyle Shanahan is not asking him to push the ball downfield consistently. Right. He's not asking right. him to be Tom Brady or, you know, Aaron Rodgers in his prime. What he's asking him to do is what he's capable of. And he's, his strengths are shining through and his weaknesses are mitigated. And I think that's a tip of the cap to Kyle Shanahan. That's a tip of the cap to how good this supporting cast is. They didn't even have Debo Samuel on, on, uh, uh, against the Washington Commanders in a game they won 37-20. George Kittle stepped up. Christian McCaffrey stepped up. Brock Purdy stepped up. This is a, a very talented team, and I think they're being led by one of the, if not the best coach in the NFL right now. Kyle Shanahan, absolutely in his bag. I did a part two to my team of the week. Okay. The Los Angeles Chargers. They clinched a playoff berth. I, I think some people thought this was impossible at some points of the season. Like, legitimately impossible with how up and down they've been. They've lost to bad football teams. They've narrowly beat bad football teams. But however, regardless, they found a way. Clinched a playoff berth with a convincing win over the Indianapolis Colts on Monday Night Football. They won that game 23. We talked about how bad Nick Foles looked. Jeff Saturday continues to look like an embarrassment to the NFL. I dropped the Indianapolis Colts to 32 for the first time ever. A team not named the Houston Texans is the worst team in the NFL. Why? Because at least the Houston Texans are an absolute embarrassment to the league. Like the, the, the Indianapolis Colts and what Jim Irsay has done, he fired Marcus Brady, fired Frank Reich, hired his friend Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday has... Biggest blowout ever in the fourth quarter. Biggest comeback on the other side of it ever. Like, legitimately awful every single week. Just, like, hard to watch. An embarrassment to the head coaching profession. An embarrassment to the Shield. I I think that the Indianapolis Colts are in a bad place. Now, the Chargers win in a convincing way. Brandon Staley's defense. It's hard to say, like, they're trending upward because the Colts are so bad. But still, Brandon Staley with the cat-cow stretch beforehand. Having his way defensively and offensively. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert gives them a chance against any team in the league. Yeah. When you have a quarterback that is 
top five in terms of talent. I think Steven Ruiz would tell you he's top three, top two. You can beat anybody, and I think they're proving that, and they're a dangerous team in the playoffs. I have them in this tier of dangerous wildcard teams, right? Dangerous, because you do not want to go against Justin Herbert if he has the possession in a one-score game with two minutes left, because he could do it, man. And now that Mike Williams is healthy, Keenan Allen's healthy, they could get Rayshon Slater back, they could get Joey Bosa back. This is a team that is getting hot at the right time, December heat. I, I like the Los Angeles Chargers. They're a top-10 team on my power rankings and part B to my team of the week. Let me ask you this about the Chargers, because obviously I'm a huge Justin Herbert fan, uh, and, and the, 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 the start to his career has been historic. Right? 4,000 yards all three years to start a career. I don't know how many guys have done that. The running game, though. Like, how does a running game get 11 touchdowns on the ground from Austin Eckler but still only get 84, 85 yards a game consistently? Like, I, I watched that game against the Indianapolis Colts, and, you know, they still got DeForest Buckner, right? They still got Zaire Franklin. There's still some dudes on that side of the football, and it just seemed like as exotic a running game as you'll see with the Ravens, right, or you'll see with the 49ers. It seems like you see such a simplistic running game when it comes to Lombardi and that team. Like, I, I'm sitting there like, wait a minute, hold on now. You got Austin Eckler, who is can be a run between the tackles guy. You know, he's legendary for his squat workout, right? The guy's got leg drive like none other. And he gets in inside the 10, right? In, in the green zone and all the other things like short yardage, they move the football. So why can't they run the football with any kind of consistency other than deciding to throw the ball 35, 40 times a game? I look forward to seeing what they're going to do if they have to travel to a bad weather city. Obviously, Justin Herbert's got all the physical tools and the talent to cut through wind and snow and all those other things. He's got the measurables that you look for. It's the reason why he was a top 10 pick. But I I want to see them be a little bit more multiple here in this last couple of weeks, even if they try some things out. Yeah, you you know, you, you got slotting in the AFC. You, your, your matchup is still dependent on how you play down the stretch here. But I want to see them kind of build out a playoff game at the end of this season, right? Where it's like, okay, we can do this. If we got a lead four-minute offense, we can mess around and give Austin Eckler the ball six, seven times on a drive and continue to move the chains. I just don't see them. Do you think it's a consistency thing? Do you think it's a talent thing without Rashawn Slater? Or do you think it's a scheme thing where they just don't know how to scheme it as well as other coaches do? I, I think it's a combination of all those things. I don't think I have any faith in Joe Lombardi to dial up a quote, you know, quote unquote, exotic run game. And I also <laughs> think it's not something that they put a lot of resource into, right? They they want to create a short, medium, and downfield drop back passing game. Most of it being short and medium. And I think the other part of it too is the offensive line without Rashawn Slater. And I think Zion Johnson kind of coming into his own. Like they are a team. Jamari Salyer, who's a rookie playing left tackle. I think that they are not as good as they want to be. Along the offensive line, some of that due to injuries, some of that due to you know just legitimate talent acquisition. That I think is the biggest hindrance to the run game. And the other parts of this is that they're much more interested in putting the ball in Justin Herbert's hand, which is fine. Like I, I think that I agree with them in a lot of ways that Justin Herbert puts you in a better position, him doing 40, 50 dropbacks per game than trying to identify something that you just don't have. Like you do not have a well-schemed rushing attack, and you do not have an offensive line that's equipped to just move bodies in the trenches. I mean, be outside of Zion Johnson, but he too is a rookie. It's a very young offensive line. I don't think it's one of the more talented units in the NFL. Next on my list here is the biggest movers. Okay. First of which, the Green Bay Packers. Moving the Green Bay Packers up. I mean, they were out of it for a long time. I thought they you know, technically weren't mathematically eliminated, but I thought they were... Um, you know, done with the season. It looked like they were done with the season, but a lot has 
fallen their way in recent weeks. A lot of NFC teams ahead of them in the playoff race have lost, and they've won games that maybe people didn't expect them to down the stretch. They're now in a position to make the playoffs. It's as simple as this. If the Washington Commanders, who I don't know if they're starting Taylor Heineke or Carson Wentz, both of them are bad, it doesn't matter, lose at home to either the Cleveland Browns this week or the Dallas Cowboys next week, and the Green Bay Packers win out against Minnesota and Detroit, both of those games at home for the Green Bay Packers, the Green Bay Packers are in. The Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers are a playoff team. How dangerous is this Green Bay Packers team if they do make the playoffs? Given the experience of Aaron Rodgers and, and LaFleur and whatever, obviously it hasn't been a team that lived up to expectations. It's one that people expected to win the NFC North. But am I right to call out that if Aaron Rodgers is in the playoffs, I don't know. I, I, I think that this is a team to look out for. You know, I, well, I'll say this because we, we've been doing this now for 15, 16 weeks. I had the Minnesota Vikings winning that division uh, because I didn't trust all the youth that Aaron Rodgers had to count on. And also that defense. I think there's some names on that defense, but consistently week to week, I, you know, uh, you know, Rashawn Gary, there's a couple other guys, but pass rush wise, Kenny Clark gets it done. I just didn't know if they were going to get consistent enough pressure on the quarterback. I like their secondary. And, and as we saw, you know, the, the three interceptions in the fourth quarter against Tua. Now we find out the Tua goes into the concussion protocol afterwards. Maybe some of those throws had a lot of brain fog on them or some hazy decision making whatever the case may be how how threat how much of a threat are they how how um how scary are they coming down the stretch here to win five games in a row to get into the playoffs they've won three in a row christian watson's hip like he is legitimately turned into and a lot of people in the nfc north i'm in the nfc north as, as a chicago bears fan a lot of people in the nfc north look at him as one of those guys for the next six, seven, eight years you're going to have to worry about in this division. He goes down with a hip injury. Now, all of a sudden, your big play, not only through the air, but they do a lot of end-around stuff. They do a lot of jet sweep stuff with him because of his top-end speed and just putting the ball in the playmaker's hands. Tell me what Christian Watson's health is going to be like down the stretch here and into the playoffs, and I'll let you know what defenses are going to try to take away. Because if all they have to do is load up for Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon, yeah, Aaron Rodgers can still beat you don't get me wrong but him having to go 60 yards down the field and, and do it in seven eight nine plays is a lot different than having a guy in christian watson who can cut that in half with the big play capability that he has so tell me what his hip is looking like and i'll tell you what the, the green bay packers uh, uh playoff fate or you know um i guess spoiler fate is looking like down the stretch here and on top of it i don't think they play exceedingly well in these three wins right they've done enough to win these just like the vikings right so the vikings are something like 11 and 11 and old this year in one score games right so it's like what, what's happening here are there ball bounces are there is it great coaching are you just doing the things in quote-unquote winning time or you know is there is there a market correction that you don't have to worry about until next year right where the ball bounces the other way so I, I don't know how confident I would be other than Aaron Rodgers has still got some of that Aaron Rodgers magic left in that arm and Christian Watson if that guy's healthy then you got two big play dudes on the end in, in that offense that can kind of you know keep you honest because they've already got a running game to boot so i need to know the the, the health of that young man's hip before i put any stake in in the green bay packers making any surprise run christian watson fully healthy i think they need that they obviously need aaron jones who's been battling an ankle injury it's why aj Dillon, the other back has played more snaps of late him fully healthy they need aj Dillon to stay healthy this offensive yeah. line like it is a team that they're in this position for a reason right aaron Rodgers has not played 
at the level he has, obviously, in previous seasons, back-to-back MVPs. The receiving core has been banged up, and young Christian Watson coming of his own of late, and the running backs have been banged up. The defense has been way underperforming versus expectations. But I do think that in December and in playoff football experience is big. Is the moment too big for Aaron Rodgers? Never. Is the moment too big for Jair Alexander and some of these players that they have on defense? I don't think so. LaFleur, I think that the Green Bay Packers, when you look at, say they do sneak in as a seven seed, and they got Minnesota. They got Minnesota in the first round. I don't know, right? The Minnesota's been playing. They played in 11 one-score games. They've won 11 games by eight points or less. You're telling me Aaron Rodgers in a one-score game can't have it? I think so. What if they play San Francisco in second? Like, Brock Purdy, like, there is a path to the Green Bay Packers who have not been a good football team all season, who have not been up to expectation, not been up to Aaron Rodgers' level of play, there is a path in an NFC that Jalen Hurts is hurt. Brock Purdy, obviously, is starting for the San Francisco 49ers. Kirk Cousins is going to be in the playoffs. Like, there is a world where the Green Bay Packers make the postseason and and potentially do some damage. So it's going to be a team to follow for sure. Other team here, biggest mover, and they're going down. Opposite direction of the Green Bay Packers. And honestly, just... I should have probably included them in the old yeller intro because I don't want to see this team much more is the Tennessee Titans, man. The report is that Ryan Tannehill is a long shot to return as the team started this season. Obviously suffered an injury a few weeks ago. It's forced Malik Willis to play and it has not looked good. Malik Willis in three starts this year, rookie out of Liberty, has not thrown for 100 yards. He's not thrown for 100 yards in three starts. That's a problem. You see some of the athletic ability, you see some of the arm talent, but holy shit, is the game too fast for him. Holy shit, this guy is playing. It's like you got thrown into the middle of like a 60-person dodgeball game, and he's just in it. He's like, whoa. He's like legitimately reacting to everything in real time. And as he's good the as Derrick Henry is. <laughs> yes. As good as, as good as Derrick Henry is, as good as Vrabel is, I think that this Titans team, for as long as Ryan Tannehill is a long shot, I don't see them making the playoffs. And right now, it doesn't matter what happens in week 16. The Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars will be, or week 17, sorry. The Tennessee Titans and Jacksonville Jaguars will be playing for the AFC South crown in week 18. If Malik Willis is starting that game, good night. Good night. I'll see the Titans next year. I think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence and the Jags that make the playoffs. And I'd rather see them than this Tennessee Titans team, honestly, in terms of the best teams in the NFL making the postseason. I think the Jags have earned their spot over Tennessee. I said it last week, right? Five straight losses now coming in this week now. 22 points is the highest they've scored over the last five weeks. It's as simple as that. Offensively, they can't get it done. Uh, it's only so long you can count on a running back, and especially a running back who gets the amount of carries that Derrick Henry has gotten over the last three or four years. Ryan Tannehill has come to that point in his not only career, but his Tennessee Titans era, whereas you're the limiting factor if you can't give the ball to Derrick Henry and play with a lead at all times. And now you're throwing a quarterback in there who didn't play high-level college football but made some amazing plays at Liberty. You're throwing him in here at the, uh, the highest level possible, right? Everybody's the man out there, and everybody's coming for you, and your protection is, has been shaky. And on top of it, a lot of quarterback sacks and quarterback pressures are on the quarterback. He's not he's, He doesn't have the processor right now oh, that sure. other quarterbacks have. So, yeah, this, is, this, uh, this thing is DOA. Before the season is over, the season is over for the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, now you usher in the new, the new era of AFC South football, the Jacksonville Jaguars and some other teams getting a chance. But I think, like we mentioned, last week they 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 reached their cap 
right? Like they, they being the number one seed in the AFC and, you know, the last three years being a team that was uh, respectable, right? You knew that they weren't going to be a Super Bowl contender, but you knew that they were going to turn out regular season wins because of the style of football they played. The limiting factors just become too overwhelming and one being the quarterback position. So it's now time for a new era of Tennessee Titans football, which with which we don't have to truly pay a lot of attention to over the next couple of years, to be honest with you, right? Like everyone's, you know what it is, AG. Teams go to sleep on you. Like, all right, I, I, I'll check back in on the Titans in three years when I have to. You know what I mean? Vrabel is going to not just, like, he's not going to have a hand in how this roster is constructed. He's going to have the whole freaking jar. And he's going to decide every move for this team. I think it's going to be very similar to what we saw. Maybe not from an outcome perspective, but from a process perspective, what Bill O'Brien was for the Houston Texans. And that he was the head coach, and I did everything. I, I don't think Mike Vrabel is going to be making some boneheaded trades like uh, Bill O'Brien did when he moved on from DeAndre Hopkins. But I do think that Vrabel is going to build this roster how he wants it. That, it start, that starts at quarterback. That's the offensive line. That's everything. I think the Tennessee Titans team, we'll see, right? We'll see. It's always been in the NFL when a head coach takes too much on, you often see them not meet expectations. We'll be see how Vrabel handles those responsibilities. But I am excited to see Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC playoffs over the Tennessee Titans, and I hope that is ultimately the case. Some more stats from Malik Willis. This is not his fault, by the way. This is the same wow. offensive line and same receiving core that Ryan Tannehill was struggling with as well. Like, there was a banged-up receiving core, and the, the, the Tennessee Titans offensive line hasn't been the same since Luan got hurt. But Malik Willis, as I said before, in three starts, does not have 100 passing yards in any of those three starts. In those same three starts, he's thrown three picks, zero touchdowns, and taken 10 sacks. It has been, like, legitimately one of, like, the worst three starts for a rookie ever and goes back to, I think it's the theme of the show. That's a third round quarterback with a ton of talent. Yeah. And then you look at the last drafted quarterback, the last drafted player with Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. They're not playing the same game. They're not, they're not, they're not. Like if Malik Willis was starting for Kyle Shanahan, I think things are a lot different. I don't even think he's, maybe he's not as effective as Brock Purdy, but who knows? I think that the theme of it really is, it's like, do you have a coach that can survive a quarterback injury or survive limitations to a quarterback. The Miami Dolphins are finding out, right? I think Mike McDaniel has had a very successful season as a first-year head coach, but he's learning that, holy shit, is my quarterback limited in these ways? And obviously, you want to see him get healthy. Three concussions in a 14-week span is awful for Tua Tungabailoa, awful for the longevity of his career. 24-year-old. There's been a lot of shit thrown at Tua Tungabailoa for how he's played and how he's responded, and you know, some of that criticism on the football field is warranted, but man, three concussions in 14 weeks sucks. That is awful to see for a young player, a young human being uh, in this league. Hopefully, the league continues to adjust their concussion protocol, pro protocols to protect these players. He had to self-report those on the Monday after. I don't know, man. I worry about concussions in this league, and I worry about a player like Tua Tungvaloa suffering three, who just finds, not, not finds ways, but when he goes to the ground, just bounces his head consistently, and that is it, it's very worrisome for a young player in the NFL. Regardless of that tangent, um, the Tennessee Titans with Malik Willis, they don't have it, and I think the Jacksonville Jaguars do. Next segment. I know it's your favorite. The I don't know what I'm doing segment, I changed it. I changed it to the they don't know what they're doing. And it starts with the Arizona Cardinals and Indianapolis Colts. Let's go to Arizona for a second. I have a take that this will be one of the, if not the, most fascinating team to follow this offseason. You have general manager Steve Kime stepping away um, for health-related reasons indefinitely from the team. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported that multiple people close to Cl K Cliff Kingsbury I've wondered whether he'd just walk away after this season. There's a quote in that article from an anonymous source or sources close to Cliff that they're saying he's not, you know, the Arizona Cardinals aren't letting him be great. Are you serious? Is this real? Cliff Kingsbury might walk away. Steve Kime has already walked away. 
Kyler Murray is going to be recovering from an ACL this offseason that probably will keep probably will keep him from the start of next season. I, I hand the keys over to you, Goff. What do the Arizona Cardinals do? What, what, what is the path out here? I don't, I don't see light at the end of this tunnel. It's more darkness. It is more, yeah. it, it is a obviously, you know, Steve Kime walking away and potentially Kingsbury being fired or, or walking away himself after the season allows you to reset at general manager and head coach, despite both of those. Uh, guys signing seven-year contract extensions this offseason. But you have that question or that problem to solve. And then you also have the problem that is our starting quarterback, our $230 million quarterback, probably isn't going to be healthy enough to start next season. Who is our interim solution? Do we bring in a Jacoby Brissett character? Do we bring in a quarterback that come in as a fill-in spot? I don't know what the Arizona Cardinals do. It is one of the, you know, like I said, more fascinating teams to follow because they have so many question marks. But man, I do not see light at the end of this tunnel. What would you do uh, if you're if you were handed the keys uh, to this this sinking ship? Well, shout out to what I think is the curse of Steve Wilkes taking place here all over this Arizona Cardinals franchise. You know, shout out to Josh Rosen and Steve Wilkes. You should have game one more season, fella. Now, um, they got a really really weird situation because usually when you're as bad as a, a, a team as, as they are, you either searching for your quarterback, right, or or you know you're trying to develop your quarterback because he isn't on the or he's not on the roster, right? Your quarterback is on the roster, he's hurt, but before he got hurt, I, I'll ask you this because you know you got all the the analytics and the numbers. I didn't look at Kyler Murray as an ascending player before he got hurt. Like he had plateaued a little bit, and and the, you know obviously no real growth is linear, right? It's going to be jagged, but you know coming off of the contract situation and people talking about the terms of that contract and then leaving the 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 stuff being written in that deal was nowhere near as glaring and and as shocking as I thought actually it getting out and it's saying to people publicly what you thought about your quarterback. And now the holes that can be poked and prodded and the windows that could be exploited in terms of uh, describing what he is or isn't as a quarterback. And we saw that throughout the year. And if he does have an issue or if he does have a leadership problem, then you, like you just mentioned, you got a $200 million issue, right? Because if you're not an ascending player, but you've got the the crazy talent to pull off, you know, miraculous feats game to game, then you're just you're going to be hooked on a drug that's not going to sustain you any success. Because in the end, if he's that good, but you can't, you know, you don't want to move on from where is it kept? And how do you have to kind of collar proof your team? Um, the, the Cliff Kingsbury hire from Jump Street was a fucking disgrace, a disaster. Uh, a guy who didn't even go 500 on a college level, a guy who was getting ready to be the offensive play caller for the USC Trojans, all of a sudden skips the line and gets ahead of all the head coaches, uh, head coaching candidates that were out there. So I, I think they're getting exactly what they deserve. They tried to band-aid it up with throwing a, a few veterans on there when there was a bigger problem, right? They tried to put a band-aid on a shotgun wound. J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, I know you got to go out there and get your, 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 your quarterback a number one wide receiver, but there were bigger holes on this football team. So uh, I think they're they're in a precarious position where it's like you, you're not bad enough that you have to mess around and go get your new quarterback. But at the same time, how do you fill these holes and address the problems that are going to be on this roster coming into next year? I'm sorry, the Kyler Murray thing is as interesting a storyline as I think there is in the NFL at that position. Because not only was he not ascending, now you got an ACL that you got to worry about going forward for a mobile quarterback who's small. Right. Uh, so, yeah, this is um, 
What do you think the Arizona Cardinals ceiling can be? And, and what are some of the fixes that have to happen? Because I still, you know, with a healthy Calamari, I don't put them as one of the top four, five, six teams in the in the NFC going into next year. I mean, I think teams like the Seahawks and some other squads that, that, that should be behind them have already jumped them. And now they're going into it with healthy quarterback play and you're not. What I'll say is I think that we haven't seen, you know, that same quote about whoever said it about Cliff Kingsbury and saying they're not allowing him to be great. I think there's some of that is more true for Kyler Murray and that Kyler Murray has not been put in a position to succeed in what is objectively a very college horizontal air raid offense that obviously hasn't worked, right? It has not worked in the NFL. No matter how many receivers they trade for, no matter how many receivers they draft, it's not going to, it has not worked. And I don't think it's going to. I think that's why, Cliff Kingsbury is not going to be coaching this football team, whether it's his decision or the Cardinals, in 2023. If I had a guiding principle, and we talked about hiring head coaches a ton, if I had a guiding principle on what this offseason looks like for Arizona, the guiding principle would be fucking different. Like, it's got to be different. Like, what we've been doing from a roster construction perspective and what we've been doing to build this offense around Kyler Murray has not worked. We need to zig to whatever this zag was from Kyle and Kingsbury. And I think what that looks like is, some permanence, some experience, right? Some experience coach like a Doug Peterson type to come in and take control of this locker room, take control of this offense and start to put in NFL principles for Kyler Murray when he's able to come back healthy and from a GM perspective, bringing in talent at high value positions um, consistently and hitting on more picks, right? That's the that's the biggest elephant in the room with the Arizona Cardinals. Steve Kime has been with the Arizona Cardinals since like the early 90s and has been the GM for, I want to say, five, 10 plus years. And in that time frame, he has not hit on a lot of picks. Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, you, 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 Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick, but that was gifted to you. Andy mm-hmm. Isabella, a second round pick, literally barely played for the football team. They have not found ways to maximize their draft capital, and they have not found ways to maximize the talent they even have with Kyler Murray, et cetera, DeAndre Hopkins, et cetera, given the style of the offense. So getting into this offseason and being different and finding sustainable, experienced NFL coaches to come in and also experienced GMs to evaluate talent I think is the start of what's going to be a rebuild kind of for Arizona. I think they need to rebuild what the Arizona Cardinals are, rebuild the identity and rebuild what this team will look like, not even in just 2023, but in 2024 when you hopefully have your star quarterback, your $230 million quarterback healthy and recovered from his ACL. Other team in that they don't know what they're doing. We hinted at them, but it's the Indianapolis Colts, right? The Indianapolis Colts have a negative 58 point differential since Jeff Saturday took over. It's the third worst in the NFL. It doesn't even fully capture how bad this Colts team has been. They have been record-breaking levels of bad. And this carousel of quarterbacks, Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, Nick Foles, is a nightmare ride no one wants to be on. And, and Jim Irsay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, obviously very fond of just Saturday, has to put this to an end. Has to put this to an end as soon as the regular season is over for the Indianapolis Colts and get, get professional with assessing who should come in here. And obviously, Chris Ballard in his press conference with Saturday was brought in and said, I know as best as anybody that when I bring in a quarterback and it doesn't work, that's when I get like, oh, it's time. It's time for the rubber to meet the road for Ballard. Like you have to go get not a Band-Aid solution, not a veteran that's going to get you halfway. You have to, I think, reset at quarterback and identify one of the future. And if that requires you to move up in the draft or that requires you to go attack a young player and go trade for a younger player, that I think is what the Indianapolis Colts have to do because it's not hire your friend and see what we can find out. Because what we found out is very, very bad for the Indianapolis Colts. I don't know what they necessarily do 
in addressing the quarterback position, but it cannot be another veteran Band-Aid solution. This team isn't good enough anymore, right? Quint Nelson isn't in the peak of his career. The, the defense with Darius Leonard isn't in the peak of his career. Injuries are stacking up. The receiving core is young. Like you need This team isn't good enough to be the quote-unquote quarterback the way they thought they were when they got Phillip Rivers, or when they got Carson Wentz, or when they got now Matt Ryan. It's not that team anymore. You need to rebuild this team, reset this roster. And I think that starts with moving on from Jeff Saturday, as much as Ursay likes him, and actually bringing in some professionals that have experience with this gig to um, legitimately rebuild this team. Yeah, I, I don't have too much more to add to it. I mean, you said it all. I, mean, this, this, I, I do find interesting, though, that a lot of people thought this might be a, a, a like a dark horse, scary, decent team, right? Around, somewhere around nine wins, something like that. And for it to fall off the cliff the way that it has. I mean, Matt Ryan is a guy that I've always appreciated probably more than anybody else around me. I got a chance to work in Atlanta for a couple of years and cover him and saw, uh, you know, a, a city that was still so in love with Mike Vick. And he was the guy after. And it, it, it really never wrapped its arms around him, even though he's, you know, arguably, if not the greatest quarterback in their franchise's history. But I mean, he had diminishing arm talent at the end of his NFL. Atlanta run. So putting him in a situation where he was going to have bigger wide receivers like Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce and some of these other guys you thought would be go up and get it dudes and maybe a Paris Campbell has stretched the field. None of that has come to fruition in their passing game and their offense and their attack. And on top of it, you got one of the better running backs who's been banged up this year and Jonathan Taylor. So yeah, you take this season back to the lab. You go out here and you get Bryce Young, you get CJ Stroud, you make a trade uh, with whoever's going to have the first or second pick, whether it be the Bears or somebody like that. I mean, the Texans started winning football games again now so they, they might not be the first pick overall but you, you go and make a trade up and you try to jump ahead of you know teams like Carolina you know some of these other squads who might be there and, and you go get your quarterback of the future this these last two games don't really mean nothing uh ever since that that ridiculous 33 to nothing comeback the, the writing was on the wall and the writing was probably on the wall the moment Jeff Saturday was hired right and, and now I think it's a dereliction of duty to not throw people out there that you need to actually um evaluate for the, the, the up-and-coming season. Like, this is what happens when you have a guy fresh out of a locker room or fresh out of a TV studio who's not worried about wins, but he's looking at 53 guys and, and saying that I, I have to invest in you guys. You guys have to trust me, so I have to go out there and put every best foot forward to try to win instead of now it being the tal- talent evaluation part. You mentioned Quentin Nelson. Hey, we know what Quentin Nelson is. We know what he has been. Go ahead, shut him down, throw somebody else in there and try to figure out what you have in the offensive line of the future. Go ahead and try to figure out what you have in Sam Ellinger. Maybe you might catch you know, lightning in the bottle and know that you got your backup for next year. Like There are still positions up for grabs, and the culture's still going at this thing like they need to win football games. And I think that's the real departure from, I think, the the – the, the organizations who have foresight and the organizations who are just winging it like the Indianapolis Colts seem to be doing with this hire of Jeff Saturday. It's a tidal wave of short-term decision-making that has put the Colts in this, right? And I think short-term decision-making uh, from bringing in Jeff Saturday, short-term decision-making and how they've attacked the quarterback position has forced them into what is now like a legitimate rebuild situation. Right now, if the season ended today, they'd have the fifth overall pick in the 2023 NFL Draft. If they continue to lose out and other teams win, that could be a fourth overall, third overall pick, whatever it may be. Go get a quarterback. I, just go get a quarterback and, and start trying to rebuild this thing. Start trying to move on um, from you know w- w- what this roster has be- become since, obviously, Andrew Luck retired. And that is... An unfortunate situation. I think you saw the broadcast, ESPN's broadcast, bring it up multiple times. That Man, this Colts team hasn't been the same since Andrew Luck retired. What an unfortunate event. Brother, unfortunate events happen all the time in the NFL. It's a random league. And I know, I don't think we'll see another quarterback of Andrew Luck's stature retire in his prime, but who knows? I mean, who knows? And I think the Indianapolis Colts, it's wrong to just say like, yeah, man, if that didn't happen, we'd be better. Man, you got to, I think in my opinion, 
be a lot better than that. You got to be a lot better than that with the mm-hmm. Indianapolis Colts have been of late. All right, we're going to go game of the week, and then we're going to bring in Ruiz to talk his quarterback rankings. Is there a better game this week than Monday Night Football, ESPN, Bills, Bengals, Bengals at home, one-and-a-half-point dog, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, two of the hottest teams in the NFL? I mean, you could go Panthers, Bucks, Dolphins, Patriots. I think it's Bills, Bengals. It's not even close. Yeah, no, it's Bills, Bengals. You, you got two of the best quarterbacks in the league. You've got two teams that are trying to figure out what their running games are looking like. One got 200 yards on the ground against my Chicago Bears, and the other one, for whatever reason, the Bengals haven't been able to run the ball the last couple of weeks. And obviously, when you got Joe Burrow and you got the weapons, that you, you don't really focus on that. But I, I know that Joe Burrow takes hits. He likes to, you know, stay in the pocket and, and develop plays. So you, you don't want to expose him to all the hits that he's going to take by trying to – round out and refine his running game. So I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to, obviously, Josh Allen. You know, he's getting back to some of those second-year Josh Allen things, though. You know, he should have had four picks against the Bears. He had two. Yeah. He had two. And, and and going, hey, December football, going into the playoffs, I don't know if this is the time where you want to be the best double agent you could be out here just sharing the rock with everybody. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing if the Cincinnati Bengals defense could be opportunistic. And, of course, they can get some kind of running game going. But that's that's easily the game of the week. There's a play in the Chicago Bears game. There's probably a ton of these. But I think the, the, the one most evident of Josh Allen, just like I do what I want when I want, is Crossbody. play action. Rolls out. Yeah, crows, crows across his body. There's a guy, like, open, I guess. Throws across his body and, like, legitimately, like, bounces off a Bears, you know, Bears defender's, like, two hands. And I think... <sighs> You don't want to. You you can't be making those mistakes against Joe Burrow. I, I have a, a a brewing list. It's a it's a trademark list. It's called AG's Dialed December List. Who's the most dialed? Joe Burrow might be the most dialed in of any quarterback in the league right now. He is dialed in. Brandon Staley dialed in. I think uh, Tr- Trevor Lawrence dialed in. I I am scared of what Lou Anarumo could do if Josh Allen wants to come in and fuck around. You know what I mean? You, it's that it's that meme of fuck around, find out. You fuck yeah. around, you find out yeah. against Lou Anarumo. The Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals are no joke. And you're going to Cincy. You're going to Cincy, yeah. playing against Joe Burrow, who he's licking his chops, I think, with an opportunity to get compared to Josh Allen all week on ESPN. And then finally have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman rip through it. I think that this is going to be an absolute treat of a game, a, a, a cap off to uh, a 2022 calendar year that I am very much looking forward to. All right, let's bring in Steve Ruiz, talk some QBs. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Welcome to the show, Steve Ruiz, joining myself and Jason Goff to talk Jared Goff, Sam Darnold, and then I want to get to our oldies but goodies, or goodies but oldies, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, two of which, both of which, could be making the playoffs. But let's start with Jared Goff. You're tweeting up a storm. I think you sent out a meme with uh, wings being eaten poorly. Uh, Jared Goff, I think, in a lot of ways, got exposed against Carolina. You kind of saw if a team wants to sell out to stop the run and force you in to, to, to make a lot of accurate throws, man coverage and all these, and, and, and against coverage, I, I think it's going to be tough, right? It's going to be tough for Jared Goff to exceed those expectations. The box score a lot better than what I think we saw from him. And it's a big reason why the Detroit Lions lost, right? It's a big reason why the Detroit Lions lose to a Carolina Panthers team. They were favored by seven by. Like, I don't know, man. I think that Jared Goff got exposed pretty poorly. And, and now the Lions could be on the outside looking at the playoffs. What was your opinion of the Goff performance against Carolina? And, and what exactly does this tell us about the Detroit Lions moving forward? Yeah, I, I felt like that game was like the test. If you're watching the games or if you're just looking at the box score, because his box score numbers and his like advanced metrics were very good. I think even like his PFF grade was very good. But like you said, the Panthers were basically playing cover zero the whole game. I mean, they had like a safety in the middle of the field. They're playing a lot of man coverage. They were daring him to throw downfield and he he didn't do it often enough. I agree with you. He, you look at the box score and you're going to take, you're going to say, oh, he did his part. The running game didn't work. The defense didn't do their part. That's why they lost the game. But I really agree with you. It was golf. Like he's at the heart of this. And I think they need a quarterback that's willing to stand in the pocket and, and make better throws downfield. And that's not what they're going to get from Jared Goff. He's a good fit for the offense. I think there are better fits out there that are going to be freely available in the offseason. Uh, I'm not confident in golf at all. And Oh, damn. I would say he's the reason why they're going to miss the playoffs. It doesn't sound like uh, it doesn't sound like Ruiz has not said that before or thought that before, <laughs> and, and I'm taking it as a shot personally. I'm uh, anti all golf. I know. Hey, hey, get in line, brother. Get get in line. <laughs> so with, with with the Jared Goff question that the Detroit Lions have going into ne- next season, uh, one everybody thought this would be a team that maybe would be in the running for a, a, a young quarterback. So is he? At this point now where he's the guy, like we talk about limiting factors, you know, and you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, after a while, was a limiting factor in the Tennessee Titans situation. Going back in the yesteryear, Andy Dalton used to be that guy when the Bengals had seemingly enough talent around him. Has Jared Goff become the quintessential limiting factor guy? Like you're going to you're going to have a certain amount of success with him, but it's capped and, and, and the, the ceiling isn't very high. Yeah, what's so what's funny to me is like we've seen this movie before. This isn't an original movie. This is a sequel. <laughs> and it's it's playing out just like the last time it did in with the Rams. Like when he has a good offensive line and he has time in the pocket and he has open receivers downfield, he's going to hit a lot of the throws. It's what happens when those benefits aren't provided to him. 
And I I think it's like a skill set thing too, because I agree with you. Like he's in that same boat as Dalton was with the Bengals when they were loaded and what Tannehill was in Tennessee a couple of years ago. But I do think like skill set matters. And with Tannehill, even in, in Tennessee, you saw the ceiling was a little bit higher. Like he didn't have all of the benefits Goff enjoyed in, in Los Angeles. But the ceiling was still higher because he had more arm talent. He was more willing to hang in the pocket. Like Tannehill, I think, is a quarterback in a vacuum that isn't much better than Jared Goff. But with his particular skill set and how this offense operates, like with taking shots downfield, I think you would be a much better upgrade or much a, a bigger upgrade over Jared Goff for this team in particular. Maybe for another team, it wouldn't be that big of a gap, but for this team, I, I think so. Okay. I'd be interested to see if they like attack another kind of like bridge solution at, at quarterback yeah. over just kind of moving on. And, and I don't know. I, I find it like, especially I find it interesting if the Detroit Lions are ready to move on from Jared Goff and they go to Ryan Tannehill, I don't know. Like, th- does that make that much more sense? Are they are they a Super Bowl contender now? I think you'd much rather I'd much rather see them find a way to go get a young quarterback that could have a ceiling higher than what Ryan Tannehill is capable of. I'm not saying that Tannehill wouldn't be yeah. an upgrade over Goff in this offense. I just don't think that it's a big enough upgrade to be good enough to be a deep postseason contender when obviously the best of the league has quarterbacks that are better no, than Ryan No, they would need to load up. Yeah, they would need to load up. And I don't see any reason why they shouldn't. I know like people are like, oh, they're young. They have this young infrastructure in place. The offense has a lot of good young pieces. But Super Bowl windows are fake, man. Just yep. go for it now. Do what the Rams did. And, and I know Brad Holmes came from that front office, so he knows that it, it can work. The offensive line, how long do we expect it to stick together? Like two years tops, maybe. It's hard to keep together five players. It's hard to keep together a receiving core. I think they should maximize their opportunity next year and just go all in. Trade for a star receiver. Trade for a star edge rusher. Just trade all your picks and just go for a Super Bowl, man. (laughs) In that same game, obviously, talk Carolina Panthers, Detroit Lions. Panthers win handedly. Sam Darnold kind of looking like the second coming of Tom Brady in this one. He's the second-ranked QB in EPA per dropback since Week 12. I know that at at times, and Nor Princiati brought this up on the recap show with you, you've stopped pounding as a Carolina Panthers fan. There's a lot of reason to keep pounding now. If uh, Carolina beats Tampa Bay, they they could be on the inside uh, of a playoff race here. I I am interested to see, uh, or interested to hear your perspective on how good Darnold has been and if you think it's been worthy enough to Carolina to think about him next year. I don't know. Is Sam Darnold the quarterback in the future in Carolina? Let's hear it. Maybe he's the answer for the Lions. No, no. Please do not (laughs) fall for this, man. They, no. He threw like 10 (laughs) bubble screens. It was like bubble screens and run game. And then he took shots off of play action when Detroit had to load the box up. No, I'm not falling for this. Everything I just said about Jared Goff, it, it applies to Sam Darnold. And you can multiply that by like two or three. I'm not falling for Sam Darnold. You can't fool me. What's, what's the, the Shaq the Shaq meme? I'm I'm familiar with your game. Yes. <laughs> so I so that meme I think brings up a point that over the last couple of weeks, the Tigers don't change their stripes specifically with quarterbacks, and a lot of what our preconceived notions about quarterbacks I think have rung true as the rubber has met the road in December football when you got to win games and there's all this tape out on a Tua on a Jared Goff, on um, you know some of these quarterbacks that we feel I have had limitations in previous years or previous games or whatever it may be. I do think that it is very difficult. And you, you know, the reason we bring you on every single week is to talk about quarterback rankings, who's going up, who's going down. It is not that volatile of a situation, right? right? No, this no. is like quarterback talent. Quarterback talent is not nearly as volatile as an exercise in the 
in the admiration of like content, it, right, right. It, you know, wants it to be right. Like it, it is not as volatile as that. I think this year, some of the biggest movers, I'm not even saying like up or down, but just have like shook up have been like guys like Tua Tagovailoa, Jalen Hurts. I think Stafford has moved down considerably. Russell Wilson has moved down considerably, but. I think when it's all said and done, and when you finish this, you know, effort out, you're going to see that like a lot of these quarterbacks, maybe they move down. A lot of the older quarterbacks moving down. I don't think quarterbacks have changed too much um, from what your preconceived notions were. Is there a quarterback that maybe changed the most in what you thought um, in in a positive or negative direction? I'm trying to think of like who would who would fit that bill. Uh, I think like I'm going to bring him up again, Ryan Tannehill. Honestly, like watching him every week, I don't think people are watching the Titans, and why would you? But like in terms of supporting cast, he has nothing. The offensive line is terrible. The receiving core is terrible. The play calling is terrible. Todd Downing is not a good offensive coordinator as evidenced by their weird ass game plans for Malik Willis. As if they have never seen an option quarterback succeed in the NFL before. I, I, I don't get it. But like they, he has nothing around him. And I really think Tannehill has taken a next step it's, this year. Because one thing I've, one problem I've always had with his skill set is that it's just like, he plays too slow. If he played like on 1.25 speed, like people listen to podcasts, he'd be a lot better quarterback. He might be a, a top 10 quarterback. But I do think he took that step this year. I think like he took that step and he sped up his process. And it's hard to appreciate just because he has nothing around him. Now, I'm not saying he's like, he is a top 10 quarterback. I think he's like hovers around top 12, top, yeah, top 12, top 15. Uh, he's the one that I, I say, I would say that my appreciation for his skill set grew the most even if it's not reflected in the rankings. Steven, what would you say or what do you have to say about the Nathaniel Hackett firing? I mean, <laughs> I, obviously, Russell Wilson and that offense have been porous, to say the least. Uh, and do you think that this is going to change how people look at bringing in guys who haven't had play-calling duties or offensive coordinator duties or head coaching duties before? I mean, what, what does this do to the landscape, if anything? I would say... I mean, it should have an effect, but I don't think it will just based on the hiring practices we've seen. Like, this isn't the first time we've seen a questionable offensive coordinator who worked with like an all-time great quarterback get a head coaching job. I don't know how Nathaniel Hackett got through the interview process without being disqualified as a candidate. Just based on the mic'd up clips and the press conferences. I mean, he's doing Austin Powers, or not Austin Powers. Uh, he's doing like impressions from movies from like 2002. He's telling bad jokes. He says Tugalicious instead of touchdown. No. That Wait, stuff should not matter. Is it Tugalicious? Yes. I have, there's a clip on Twitter floating around. But that stuff shouldn't matter, but it nice. totally matters. I'm sorry. Like NFL athletes, you start throwing out Borat impressions to NFL <laughs> athletes. They're not going to take you seriously. No. Okay. I, I, we'll end on this because I think you're hitting a great point. We talked a lot about like what you should hire in a coach and all that kind of stuff. If, if there's anyone who's suggesting that leaders and their qualities as people don't matter, you're high. It, does that matter for your right guard? Does that matter for your defensive end? Probably not. Like, does it matter for non-leaders on your team? No, you can have quirky guys who say Tugalicious and, and play Settlers <laughs> of Catan at night. Like, you could do whatever you want. Like, but if you have a coach and a quarterback who are dropping some of the corniest, quirkiest shit in the world who are legitimately installed as leaders, that stuff does matter. Uh, Ruiz, you matter as well. Always appreciate you jumping appreciate on the show. It. I'm glad that golf brought up the hack at firing. I knew that would get everybody fired up, pun intended. Uh, make sure to tune in the rest of the feed. We'll obviously have the preview show and others coming out. The holidays do not stop 
football. It continues to come. Also, big shout out to Eduardo Ocampo. Eduardo Ocampo filling in for Carlos Chiraboga, producing this show. Also, shout out to Arjuna Ramagopal. Until next time, Jason Goff, Steve Ruiz, Austin Gale, Power Rankers Show. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.